Hi, my name is Antoinette Londijan, and uh, I say it every time, but I am thrilled to be here with Rianne Moller of Man Vineyards. Uh, Rianne is not uh, just a one-trick pony. We have Man Vineyards as an umbrella company, and then underneath uh, Man, we have Man, Leafland, and we have Essay. Uh, Rian is the head winemaker for all three labels. And within the three labels, we have multiple labels. So it's a little bit tricky, uh, but Rian is here to explain about everything there is to know about Man uh, Vineyards, starting with an introduction. Rian, please uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, how you got here. Hey, Antoinette. Thanks for having me. And I'm looking forward to this chat. As always, I always enjoy talking to people and expect to, to spread the, the, the story about man and about Leafland and uh, yeah, to spread the love across the world for wines. So my, my background, I've been in wine for about 20 years, uh, about 22 years actually. And I actually by accident fell into the wine industry. This is actually a career I never thought about following. And I was literally after school, uh, I went to travel Europe and I came back to South Africa. And then one of my mates asked me if I want to join the harvest team during harvest. And I said, yeah, why not? And uh, and that's where my love affair with with, with wine started. Uh, I did that for a few vintages and then finally decided, well, I, can, uh, I want to study wine and follow that, you know, full time and uh, move back with my folks, uh, hang up my, my gumboots and uh, yeah, swap those, that the harvest time and grapes for, for, for the desk again and went back to school. So I completed my small four-year degree, uh, four-year studies at Elsenburg in Stellenbosch. And after that, yeah, I was went back into the wine industry and went flat out. And uh, and today, it's yeah, like I said, it's almost twenty years later. Um, I've, it feels like the other day. And uh, we were joking the other day with one of my friends about how how quickly time actually in in the wine industry passes because you work in these cycles. You know, in a cycle, eventually, actually go past so so quickly, and you always prepare. You know, for the next cycle, so you always live in almost in two yearly cycles the whole time, because you've got the new vintage and the current vintage, or the coming vintage and the current vintage. You always have to work with. Um, but back to Man and Leafland. So I've I've joined Man um, about in 2017, end of 2016. I've known them for a long time. I've been working with the family uh, through in, through different ways for about um, 16, 17 years almost. Um, and I joined them as part of the team, like I said, in the end of 2016. And initially, it only started just for the man wines. And then afterwards, uh, shortly afterwards, the ESA wines also became part of the portfolio. And then in, uh, later in 2017, we uh, acquired the Leafland property. And that also performed, became part of, the, of our portfolio. Well, you know, you say 20 years. It is a long time, but at the same time, it's only quote-unquote, 20 harvests and uh, 20 productions. So it's it's really, uh, the pressure is on every year for you. And yeah. you have a lot to embrace. Uh, so you came in in 2017. You had men uh, and SA that were sort of chugging along. And then we sort of uh, see you sink your teeth into the Leveland project. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what the Leveland project is? So my love affair with Leafland, and, and by the way, the, the word Leafland, and actually love land, uh, because once you come here, you really fall in love with, with, with the property. So my love affair with Leafland actually started back in 2000, when I came to the property just as a visitor, and uh, I fell in love with the property. And over the years, I always 
kept track of what exactly is going on here. You know, I followed the wines and so on and, and really fell in love with the wines also. Um, and then when I, I joined, uh, yeah, Man Family Wines 2017, like I said, this also came on board. So since 2017, we've started with a massive replanting project, rebuilding yeah, a renovating project on, on Liflant. Um, we know it's got a lot of potential. Uh, the soils here are very, very good. Uh, we've got a lot of water to, to our, um, available to us. And then the landscape here is, is quite unique, which gives us quite a lot, lot of different pockets uh, we can make with different, different wines from. So we started with the first plantings. Uh, planting started in 2017. In 2018, we started to, to replant. Uh, we started with about 30, yeah, about, about 30 acres to start off with in the first year. And we're focusing on really on what works in our, in our area. Um, when we when we started right back in the beginning, and we, when we took Leafland in, in the brand as a brand, we asked ourselves, "What do you want? What do we want to do with Leafland? What do we? What brands and what wines, at least, do we see can work in the, under the Leafland brand?" And we said Cabernet is quite important for us uh, across all our brands. We do quite a bit of Cabernet, uh, Chenin Blanc definitely. I think Chenin Blanc is really is the, the flag bearer of South African wine industry. Uh, because we're South African, Pinotage also, um, and what else? And then Sauvignon Blanc and, and Rosé. And that's and that's the, the varieties we decided to kind of stick to. So so to give you an idea, that's basically what led us over this last few years in, in our plantings. Um, we've planted already about 60% we've planted Cabernet, uh, about 30% Pinotage, Chenin Blanc, uh, about 15% almost. And the rest is like Petit Verdot, Cabernet Franc, Malbec, uh, Syrah, and those kind of things. So, uh, so this so it's a bit of a mixed bags of different varieties. Um, but yeah, it's 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 like I said, it's it's nice to work with these different pockets, even with different Cabernets sitting on a north slope or or western slope, uh, or southern slope. It's, it's very different, and that gives us the ability to to create quite an array of different Cabernets, which we can at the end can can blend back together, and likewise with uh, with the other varieties. And so we're talking yeah. about a hundred percent estate estate fruit for Leafland, correct? Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. The, the only the only um, the only uh, variety which is not hundred percent at the moment uh, is our Chenin Blanc. So the Chenin Blanc is old vine certified. Uh, now, to just to give you a better idea what old vine certified means, so there's an organisation that was started about ten years ago uh, to protect these old vineyards of Chenin Blanc. So Shannon has been around, uh, it's one of the first, very first varieties that came to the Cape in 1659. And it's one of the first wines that was also made in South Africa. So Shannon Bank has got a real um, deep history uh, in, in the South, uh, South African industry. Um, we use it for dry wines, wooded wines, sparkling wines, uh, brandy, uh, dessert wines. So it's really set, you know, in in our in our in, in South Africa and especially in the Western Cape. And the reason it does so well, yeah, it likes our climate. It likes these hot, dry summers, and then it also it likes our soils. So we've got a lot of shale soils here, and a lot of it grows actually as bushvine and dry land. Um, so this old vine uh, project, it's called. They 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 set out to to try to protect these vineyards because a lot of these vineyards are in sits between different co-op producers so a lot of these vineyards end up and goes, goes to the local co-op and uh, ends up in these big blends 
And as soon as their the yield isn't high enough, then the farmers decide, well, they, it's not financially viable anymore because they don't get, get enough money per, per ton. Um, and then they, they rip them out. And a lot of those vineyards, or most of those vineyards, actually gets lost in, in such a way. So the old wine project uh, went around to these guys. And firstly, they documented all these old vineyards. Uh, anybody, it's for free. Anybody can, can join the, the old wine project. And they document all these different uh, vineyards and the, the age of them. So what makes South Africa a little bit unique regarding to vine age is we're the only country that's got the longest track record of certifying wine and vineyards. So we can track and trace vineyards back down to the, back to nine to the early 1900s, 1901, 1910. Uh, our system allows that. So not that you know, the rest of the world doesn't have old vineyards. Uh, Spain, uh, Prerat, I mean, they've got vineyards that's been going back even older than that. But South Africa has got a, quite a unique system in tracing these these different uh, ages or different vineyards over this last century almost. Um, so the Old Vine Project, they use that um, in a way to track these vineyards. And then at the same time, they... Uh, created a database where you can go and search for these old vines and then go and purchase the, the, those that, that fruit in. It's, it's a known fact that old vine vineyards or vines make produce better wines, most of the time at least. And it's got to do mainly with these old vines has really set the test of time or stood the test of time over the last 30, 40, 50 years. And they're almost, in a way, they're naturally in balance. If uh, you know, they they know how much to be happy, how much grapes they can produce, and how much you know to survive eventually. Like I said, all also earlier, most of these vineyards are dryland farmed or were initially dryland farmed. Over the years, maybe sometimes farmers have started has added irrigation to them, um, but most of the time they they're dryland farmed. So. Um, what else would I say now? Yeah, so that's basically the only only wine or the vineyards we go out and we look for with for uh, for, for these old wine shinners. So how it got connected to us? So with during through the man project through some of those vineyards we use with, there's a lot of those old vines uh, vineyards are situated between the man vineyards, and uh, we've got access to those vineyards, and that's how we decided. Well, you know, let's stick to that. Let's go into those different vineyards and get some of those pockets. Uh, take them out and vinify them separately, and we do that under the under the Leaflanta brand. So the man also gets some of those vineyards they get, but it's much more uh, it's a combination of different older vineyards and younger vineyards. Where the Leaflanta vineyard, Leaflanta wine is 100% old wine certified. So you'll if you look at the Leaflanta Shannon, for instance, you'll at the on the back label there's a little bit certific a little certification seal, and that certifies that it's made from old wine. And to be old wine, it must be at least 35 years old. So you mentioned Shannon being the flag bearer uh, of South, the South African wine industry. What what uh, coined phrase do you have for Pinotage, uh, if any? And do you enjoy working uh, with um, Shannon and Pinotage sort of as your, your primary favorites? Or do you have other varieties you enjoy working with? You know, it, that type of question is almost a question on, you know, who's your favorite child? Which is very difficult to answer because some days the one child is, is is more it's your favorite and the other day the other one is again. So and this is the same with winemaking. 
Uh, winemaking, yeah, each variety has got its own challenges. Uh, you know, from Pinotage, that can be very difficult and very tricky to work with. Uh, I don't have a lot of hair, of, uh, unfortunately, but most of that is because of Pinotage, which gives me sleepless nights. And because it's one of the experiences is Pinot Noir. Uh, I mean, Pinot Noir is also, as everybody knows, is quite a difficult variety to work with. So Pinotage, yeah, it can be quite tricky, but I love to work with Pinotage. And Chenin Blanc, yeah, definitely one of my favorites. I, I love working Chenin Blanc. I think Chenin Blanc is super rewarding. Uh, it's very uh, um, responsive to the area it grows in, to, to the type of soils it grows in, and which makes it quite a very fun variety to work with. And like I said also earlier, we use it uh, in, in different, we make different styles of Chenin Blanc, which makes it also very, you know, uh, um, fun to work with because you see different facets and different different faces of Chenin Blanc uh, during harvest and during the rest of the year when you when you blend it. So um, just coming back to Pinotage. So Pinotage, like I said, it can be a quite tricky variety to work with. Uh, I think back in the day, um, Pinotage definitely and unfortunately got a very bad reputation and a bad name. Uh, and that's when, you know, in the 90s when South Africa, South Africa was allowed back into the into international market there was a lot of pinotage, but unfortunately there was a lot of a lot of bad pinotage around. And and pinotage, if you compare it to Cabernet or any other variety, I mean pinotage had only been available since you know the first commercial pinotage was bottled in 1954. Now, when you compare that to Chardonnay or any other variety, it's been around for hundreds of years or a thousand years. You know, there's still a lot of work that needs to go into pinotage. So I think we did pretty well with pinotage because you know they, they had such a bad reputation back in the day and we were forced as winemakers South African winemakers to really focus on pinotage and try to figure it out you know there's a lot of top producers um, I mean some of these producers were one international winemaker of the year with pinotage you know back in the 90s so it shows you it does have the potential to create world-class wines I, I also do travel quite a bit and I've met you before in person in DC and as I travel, I can still really find people that that bad connection and bad of, uh, image of pinotage has really stuck. You know, <laughs> that's mostly people come and say, ah, oh, pinotage, you know, burnt rubber and so and, and elastoplast and those bad connotations. But we've really come a long way in, in making good, good pinotage. And and even at Leafland, we, we try to make a, a style of pinotage which is slightly different. Uh, in general, we always try to do something, our wines a little bit different, and we decided we're going to go for a different style of pinotage. We decided we're going to go for the more elegant, more lighter style of pinotage, but still being, at the same time, being serious enough uh, 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 a wine to, you know, to please a lot of palates. And that's actually, I've learned a lot from that style and making that wine in the lighter side. And I think that the, as South African winemakers, we've, that's actually, you know, a path we've never been down before and it's only in the last five or six years uh winemakers have started to become very adventurous adventurous with with making pinotage and it's been successful i think there's a side of pinotage we've never we thought would never would have worked but it's working at the moment and and it's been very quite successful so um the, the problem with pinotage is is basically it's naturally it's got a lot of uh, uh can be quite bitter uh, hence the you know the, the bad bittery flavors or, or burnt rubber type of aromatics it gets but that's got all it comes down to the site it comes down to viticulture it comes down very important to, to picking date fermentation you know all those kind of things so 
for me, it's like I said, it's one of the varieties that you know, it makes me think a lot and um, it keeps you on your toes the, the whole time. But at the same time, it can be super rewarding and a delicious wine. Um, I was chatting with a customer just earlier this week or last week, and um, he mentioned Pinotage. And we're featuring South Africa in our wine club next month. And he asked, will we have a Pinotage? And I hesitated for a moment. And I said, you know, it's a, it's a tough decision uh, because it's such a controversial grape. And it's a bit like the Australian Vegemite, you know, you, you have the pros and you have the, the con team as well. And, uh, but in, in my opinion, I, I see, have seen in the last five years, especially this surge of incredible pinotage hitting the market and mm. at all spectrums of price. So it's, it's something that you're, you're absolutely right. The winemakers seem to have really uh, honed in on crafting the best pinotage possible and without giving away your uh, secret uh, recipe that you use in the back uh, in the winery, how do you navigate uh, when you're actually making a, a, a wine from a, not a finicky, but uh, yeah. a more difficult uh, grape such as Pinotage? How do you navigate those um, edges, so to speak? Yeah. Is something like carbonic maceration going to take the edge off or do you, do you not want to sort of soften it so much? Mm. It's, a, it's a combination of a few things. Um, first of all, you need to know your vineyard. So when when I when we get a new vineyard for the first time uh, that comes into production, uh, a young young Pinotage vineyard, um, in that first year we look at the fruit and it's basically an experiment to you know to see what the wine is going to be like. And then then so you learn. So you see, all right, okay, it's got a lot of tannins, it's got a usually it's got a very thick skin, which Pinotage usually does have, got a thick skin. And then for me during fermentation, it's just Soft handling, soft handling, uh, vineyard wise. Sorry, let's take a step back again. So we we break a lot of leaves open during uh, in the vineyard in the canopy. We try to get a lot of sunlight in there. Uh, we try to soften the the tannins already in the vineyard, and then uh, picking dates is crucial. Um, Pinotage used to be, or it's still dominantly winemakers pick it very ripe. So you get high alcohol. Um, and then you put it into oak, which can be quite tannic and a lot of oak in the wine. So, like I said, we do it a little bit, a little bit different. So we rather go into the vineyard and go and go and check it out there and try to taste and try to figure out okay, when's a good picking date for that. And because we're picking earlier, um, we, which can be a little bit dicey to do that and risky, you need to make sure to get your tannins ripe, and that's through tasting, tasting the whole time. You know, go, go and visit that vineyard uh, every day, every second day depending how, you know, how close you get to the picking date. And then the second thing, in, which is quite important for me in the, in the winery, is fermentation. So we ferment a little bit cooler in the Pinotage, try to get a lot of, you know, ar aromatics out, and then tasting, literally tasting twice a day. Whenever you walk past that tank, you, you taste it. Because um, Pinotage is a very fast fermenter. It naturally ferments very, very quickly. Sometimes you do cold soaking, and you think, all right, you know, you're going to start to ferment the next day, you know, inoculate. And it's like, oops, you know, you're really halfway fermented. So that's just a natural thing of pinotage. It ferments super quickly. Um, so your fermentation period on pinotage are usually much shorter. And that's why we do a bit of pre uh, cold maceration to extract some fruit, nice fruity flavors and color. Um, 
And then as quickly as five days, six days, you know, ferment, for, uh, we can take the juice off and fermentation can be finished in, you know, by day eight almost. Um, so through tasting and then deciding when to take, to separate the skins from the juice. Um, that for me is quite crucial. Uh, soft, gentle pump overs only a few times a day. I'm talking about maximum three times a day uh, on pinotage and, um, and that's about it, you know. And then her wood selection. We use the mainly over oak. We try not to use too much new oak in it. Now, if, it, if I say too much new oak or new oak, we're talking about 10%, maximum, way maximum 15%, depending on the batch of, of wine. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got a lot of old uh, old oak, old barrels. Comes, it's been coming along for about 10 years now, 10, 11 years. Uh, so there's no more tannin extraction from the oak. It's mainly just the, you know, the aging process, the oxidation process that it needs to have. Um, and that, in a nutshell, is basically what I, I look at when making pinotage. Brilliant. You know, it's it's so exciting to hear you speak about what you're doing today and and, and how you got here. Um, but I'm curious, what do you see? What's your vision for um, perhaps South African wines as a whole moving forward in the future? Are there any uh, trends in winemaking that you're seeing or perhaps just a, a hope that you have for the wine industry? Like I said earlier, also, I, I'm lucky enough to to travel quite a bit extensively, uh, especially in the U.S. And the U.S. for us is quite an important market. Uh, we sell a lot of wine in the U.S. Um, and uh, in my last visits, uh, when I met you, um, I could really see there's there's something around going on with South African wines at the moment. There's a lot of focus on it. There's a lot of hype around South African wines at the moment. And the world is taking notice of South Africa on, on wine, uh, which for us is absolutely great. And and I've always said, you know, and I've always believed that South African wine, you know, is going to is going to go around the globe like a big wine tidal wave, because uh, I think we've got the potential. Uh, if I just talk a little bit about South African wine in the US, it is even though it's for us our biggest market, it's it's probably our most difficult market. You know, for for if you, if you don't, if if you look at South African wines in the U.S., it's there's no South African culture in the U.S. There's there's no big community. Uh, there's no restaurants. You know, South African restaurants in, in in the U.S. compared to you know, there's a lot of Greek restaurants. There's a big Greek community in the in the U.S. You know, and 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 the, Greece actually sells more wine compared to South Africa. But I think we might have a bigger wine culture or. You know, we, we see as ourselves compared to Greece as having a bigger wine culture, but it, it shows you what influence a community and a culture can have. So for us, it's it's a hard battle to be out there, but I'm, I'm, I can very happily say that there's, there's a big, you know, vibe around South African wines at the moment, especially in the U.S. So, so I'm looking forward to, to that, going back to the U.S. and to spread the word there a little bit more. Uh, in the rest of the world, yes, Europe has always been, you know, very fond of South African wines and even the East. I think the East is also quite a difficult market for us, but we've been lucky enough to, to do pretty well there. Um, and then I think for 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 making, uh, you know, with this new wines, you know, we're always busy experimenting, we're always trying to do something else. And I think that's the culture in South Africa, our fighting spirit almost in a way to always try to improve and always try to to be better. Uh, and to do that, and uh, not just in our winery, yeah, uh, in the man in the Lifland winery, there's in other wineries, you know, there's always, you know, winemakers trying to improve and trying to do new things. And 
because wine is such a competitive you know industry and and and, and it's always um you know it's it, wine is so personal that you need to do something better or something different to distinguish yourself and uh to get people to love to fall in love with the wine and, and that's what we try to do uh well thank you very much um amazing uh opportunity to chat with you and and i would agree 100 percent um i found south african winemakers and trade members to be some of the most passionate and and uh enthusiastically um uh aggressive almost with the the message of south african wine uh and it and it really comes from a true passion for wine and the wine industry as a whole. Uh, so it's really a, a very vibrant energy uh, that you bring. And it's really wonderful to be around. But most of all, it's terrific to enjoy the wines from South Africa, especially from Man Leafland and SA. So thank you so much for making these amazing wines. Before we say goodbye, is there anything you'd like to share with us? As if I can just add on to to what I to my to the last bit I, I said, uh, and I think you said you guys have the the Leafland Rosé on the shelf at the moment, and and that's a, a real example of of trying something new. And that one is probably one of our most successful wines at the moment. And it started off as a small experiment when we took over Leafland. And usually, when people uh, buy a new property or uh, you know buy a new property, they want to make a statement with a big bold red wine. And we different. We decided, well, let's do the rosé, and we we did an experiment, and it worked, and people fell in love with it. So, and I'm happy that you guys can have it as well at the moment. Well, Rian, thanks again for joining us. It's been an ultimate pleasure, and I wish you a very, very successful harvest. Uh, you mentioned you already started uh, last week, and it's going well. Yeah, it's going well so far. So, like I said, it's very early harvest. So uh, it's going to be a very quick and very compacted uh, harvest. Uh, people are going to battle to get enough space in the wineries because everything is going to come in the same time. So, uh, but it's fun and I'm looking for, really forward to it. All right. Thanks again. And I look forward to seeing you when you come back to DC. Thank you. All right. See you. See you.